ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is the Victorian Country Hour on ABC Radio Victoria. G'day, Angus Verley here filling in for Warwick Long again this week. Coming up on the Country Hour, some grain growers are finally finishing harvest months after they started. You'll hear from John O'Dyer, who's been balancing harvest with spraying, trying to get on top of summer weeds. More on the impacts of that torrential rain, you'll hear from a cherry grower whose crops were smashed in the storms. And you'll hear from a former Mallee grain grower who moved to Queensland to grow watermelons. You can get in touch the text line 0467 842 722 or call on 1300 594 For some grain growers, harvest is finally coming to an end after months in and out of the header. Jonathan Dyer, who farms at Caniva, booked a holiday for mid-January months ago, expecting to be well and truly past harvest by then. But as it turned out, with all the wet weather he had, he ended up finishing only just in time. I spoke with him this morning about how harvest has gone. A marathon. Um, yeah, finish up Saturday afternoon. Um, and we started sampling canola back on the around the 5th of November. So, uh yeah, well, over two months, uh, quite the stretch. And I'm sure you didn't envisage when you, when you got off to that uh, start that you, you would have been harvesting for so long? At the halfway point, we were flying. We, um, yeah, got the canola off well and got stuck into the beans and it was um, then it was a bit of an omen because we, we'd done so well early on that we were actually waiting for the moisture to come down on the lentils and the wheat. And um, here we are a month and a half later and we were still waiting for it nearly every day. You know, you've you've finally got away on on a holiday. You're talking to me from your holiday right now, which I appreciate. And uh, it, it was a pretty tight tight thing because that was a, a pre planned booked holiday that you had to try and wrap up harvest for. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, my wife's a teacher and kids at school, so um, she's married to the farming calendar, and I'm married married to the school calendar. And um, so getting these things to line up is tricky. So we booked this trip away. Uh, yeah, back at the start of harvest, you know, more than two months, honey, that should be plenty of time for us to get harvest wrapped up. And anyway, we finished the day before we were due to leave. So um, sometimes it's good to have a deadline for some motivation, isn't it? And just with all <laughs> of that rain we've had, Jono, what's the stuff that you were harvesting, I suppose your wheat particularly at the end of the program after having had all that rain on it, what's what had that rain done to the quality? Yeah, so it was quite interesting. So um uh, basically, the big Christmas rain was kind of the dividing line for, well, for us, but probably I'd say most people in our area. Um, prior to that, um, everything, any wheat uh, came off, wheat or barley that came off before that was was passing the falling numbers, even though everything it had, even by then, it had two big rains on it, but it was still all getting through. And but that, yeah, that rain back at Christmas just seemed to push tip everything over the edge, and uh, everything that wasn't harvested by Christmas has all been, um, yeah, going in the feed bunkers, hasn't it? So, all, yeah, it's all been downgraded. Talking dollars, Jono, what what sort of discount has there been for that grain? Oh, I've been trying not to think about it, to be honest, Angus. So, um, we've actually got a new one for us is downgraded Durham, and that's never happened to us before. So, um, yeah, we're still 
yeah, it's a bit of a new one, so we're still working out what it's all going to be. But um, yeah, it'll be what the, the hard spreads from APW or hard, which is what would have been going otherwise. What is it? Be sixty dollars a ton or more, I think. And with the downgraded Durham, that that would typically uh, the good quality Durham would would have a premium that that you've lost. Yeah, for sure. So um, yeah, that's right. So it just becomes. Feed wheat like like the rest of it, doesn't it? So like the rest of the wheat. So um, yeah, that one's possibly going to hurt the most. But um, anyway, the it's not all bad. The yields have still been pretty pretty good. So there's yeah, still worth getting. And John, I I I um barely dare mention summer weed since you're on holidays and probably don't want to think about them. But just how green is it at your place, and how fast are those summer weeds growing? Oh, it's been it's bizarre because it looks like a, you know winter or spring. So any any paddock around that hasn't been sprayed is bright green, and there's even self even a couple of, even the occasional yellow paddock around that uh, with a self sown canola that's starting to flower. So um, yeah, now we've done a lot of summer spraying already, Angus, because we've had all these rain delays with harvest. We um, those cool damp mornings that were too wet for harvesting. We, ideal spraying conditions so we um use them and we've done i'll say two-thirds of the farm already and we'll be doing the rest over the next week or two and i think you even had at least one instance where you were harvesting and and spraying in in the same paddy yeah that was unique um for sure so we that was again uh, we got yeah not the same day i guess it was part of the paddock that we harvested a week uh, or ten days ago, rather, and um, and got stopped by rain and moved to another paddock that was a bit drier, and then we got back to it, and so we were um, was able to spray the first bit of the paddock that we did while waiting, and again in that one of these damp mornings a few days ago while we were waiting for the crop to dry out to start harvesting. So it's um, yeah, never done that before. Had the sprayer and the harvesters going in the same paddock, and even though you have got so much moisture, and probably saving moisture doesn't. But perhaps seem so important. You, you, you're still keen to to get those weeds sprayed as quickly as possible and and stop that moisture extraction. It's become yeah a bit of an interesting one uh, as 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 it's gone on. We've had more rain. That for, for starters, that's what we started out doing. Thinking yeah, completely. You know, moisture conservation. These this these summer weed controls sort of always tear for themselves with that way. But yeah, it's, it's it's a really interesting one because we've now got. I don't know if risk is the right word, but um, potential, I guess, you know, with all this moisture in the soil and potentially another whole season's worth of rain to come, you know, we have risks, I guess, to the wet side that we usually don't usually have in the Wimmera. So, uh, yeah, but we still want to control them, I guess. We Those yucky summer weeds don't um, – they're not good for a whole lot. We sort of, you know, still want to try and stop the seed set and stop them coming again next time if we can. And um, they can cause issues with seeding and stuff too if you, you know, let them get away too far. But it is an interesting one with the moisture situation. You're spot on. Mm, so if it if it does stay wet and it, it's wet around sowing time, hopefully not. But but if that happens, perhaps in paddocks where summer weeds were growing more vigorously than others, perhaps it might could could be easier to get the crop in on those paddocks. It's yeah, a flip potentially. It's a yeah, a flip, a flip to what we're used to. I guess that's right. So um, yeah, but it's it's one of those unknowns, isn't it? Like, was it going to be a dry start or a wet start? Or it's it's depends what happens next. But it's um, it, it poses some some things for us to think about that we don't usually have to consider. And have you got any sort of gut feel on what we're in for? Because 
course, it has been so wet. We've had El, El Nino not not playing a role at all, but that that southern annular mode that the, the bureau talks about driving this 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 rainfall. I mean, what, what's your gut feel on whether we're going to get more rain? Well, I um, watch you know, like some look at all the different models on the internet, and it's quite interesting. None of them are particularly showing any any kind of dry signals, and the very early ones, you know, looking into weather patterns and stuff uh, later on in the year are sort of saying it might continue. So it's, um, yeah, interesting times for sure. But um, be good to hear from Dale Gray or someone like that about, about this as well because it, um, yes, has changed fairly quickly, hasn't it? Sure has, Jono. But uh, on that note, I better let you get back to your holiday. No worries. Cheers, Angus. Thanks for the chat. That was Caniva Grain Grower Jonathan Dyer with a good suggestion there, talking to Dale Gray from Agriculture Victoria about what we might expect weather-wise in the months ahead. We might give him a call. You can give me a call too on 1300 594 or text in to the country out on 0467 842 The Victorian Country Hour on ABC Radio Victoria. The Victorian cherry season has come to a premature end after weeks of storms and heavy rain. Colin Pickering grows cherries at Blackwood Orchard near Bendigo. He says he lost about 30% of his cherry crop after Christmas storms and 85 mil of rain on January 7 and 8. So far this, this year, the cherry season um, shaped up a beautiful, it was a, a really, really good season. We had um, an amazing fruit set. We had... Um, Probably the best crop we've ever grown, and they were big, and a lot of them. And then the rain came early December, and that started because we'd been told there was going to be a drought. We thought, oh yeah, drought, dry season, good. We try and keep our exposure to sprays down to a minimum. So we didn't follow through on a on a fungicide program like we normally would. And we had brown rot set in. We could handle we could handle that. We would just throw away what was was um, rotten, uh, which wasn't that much. Probably um, one variety we lost probably about thirty percent, and others less than that. But then the rain on Christmas Day and Boxing Day, the sixty-five mils of rain, and the warm weather, muggy weather that came after it, that just finished it off. But, um, we we left probably three three plus three tons of um, cherries hanging. We just couldn't couldn't trust them. They were going rotten. We tried picking some, and they were going rotten in the, in the hill store. But it was probably our bad in a way. We can't, like everyone likes to try and blame the Weather Bureau, but we should have known this year was just a perfect storm. It's a shame to see that, that volume of fruit go to waste, though, isn't it? Is there anything well, you can... Yeah, yeah. Nothing. Nothing. You can't do anything with it. It's it's, it's rotten. Unless you... I don't know what the um, alcohol-making process is, whether you want them rotten. They're pre, they're, they were already pre-rotten, but I wouldn't... You, you couldn't sell them. They're just, um, just brown rot. And so you've moved on to strawberries and blueberries there, is that right? Yeah, we've got we've always had um, we've had strawberries and and blueberries. Um, strawberries they they were because it, the, the season was different. The year was just different. It wasn't hot. Um, the strawberries grew really well. Um, we were nearly able to keep up with demand. And then because <laughs> strawberries don't like rain either, so it uh, wrecked them too. And then they sort of came back, and then this last weekend we had another 85 mils, and that that um, slowed them down again. It turned anything that was nearly ripe to mush. So we're cutting, we're trying to go through cutting all those off. And now we've just got to wait for the stuff, because they'll just keep producing, um, hopefully till sort of end of April. 
Right, okay. So this week's harvest is is uh, gone to waste, but you'll have a bit more. Yeah. Yeah, it. yeah. We've looked, this 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 week we people saying, Oh, can we have strawberries? And we're saying, Look, you know, um, no. Just that there's nothing there. It's all sun ripe stuff. And so the blueberries, did they hold up okay in, in the rain that came through this week? Well they must they they did. It, which is, I thought they'd be a very delicate little thing, but um, they seem to hold up okay. That was Cherry, strawberry and blueberry grower Colin Pickering speaking with Elsie Kennedy. Just the latest uh, producer on the country I was talking about the impacts of the rain, wasn't he? We, we've heard from grain producers, tomato growers, stone fruit growers, grape growers, now cherry growers. Just uh, too much of a good thing, clearly. The Victorian Country Hour on ABC Radio Victoria. And we'll stay on the, the weather now because it's been more than a week on from some of those torrential rains that sent floods down creeks and rivers across the state. But some areas are still experiencing big flows as water creeps across the floodplain. One waterway that is still carrying a lot of water is Pyramid Creek, which receives water from Goulburn Murray Water's storage known as Cow Swamp. And there has been some criticism of the management of that storage including that more water should have been released earlier to reduce those peak flood flows. I spoke earlier with Tim Nitschke, Assistant Distribution Manager with Golden Murray Water in Kerrang. Well, Cow Swamp um, has um, seen considerable inflows um, as a result of the rain events that we had, firstly on Christmas Day and then on the 2nd of January and also the um, 7th and 8th of January. Um, so Golden Murray Water, um, as soon as we had that first rain event um, on the 25th of December started to uh, outfall water out of Cow Swamp. Uh, when we had the second rainfall event, we again increased our outfalls. And then after that third rainfall event, we um, uh, increased our outfalls to our maximal, maximum operating limit. We then actually um, spoke with um, the Bendigo Incident Control Centre to uh, determine the best way of managing releases out of Cow Swamp. And on the 10th of January, we actually increased our releases from Cow Swamp up to 1,500 megalitres per day. We believe that this is um, a uh, sensible uh, outflow where we won't be flooding anyone downstream in the Pyramid Creek and uh, also one where uh, it's a good controlled release. Nonetheless, Tim, I have spoken to some people who have uh, farmland in the area and they felt that GMW should have released more water earlier on so that you didn't have this uh, volume of water going down the creek at the moment. Uh, what would you say to that? Um, well, I guess as I've stated before, Angus, we released as soon as we had that first rain event. Um, and uh, if I was able to um, govern the rain, Angus, then I probably wouldn't be working at Goulburn Murray Water. And you touched on it, but the flow going down the creek from the swamp at the moment, how significant is it? Look, it's not really significant at, significant at all. Um, we have had a little bit of levee work done down along the creek because there were actually levees that weren't repaired from the October 2022 floods. Uh, but in conjunction with the ICC, we've been able to uh, look at those levees on the lower part of the pyramid, repair them. And currently with the flows that are going down the creek, um, I believe that all of our customers down along there are quite comfortable with... Uh, with what's going through, we've had those flows on for over five days now. And yeah, we're not seeing any uh, major increases where any levees are being threatened. 
how long will flows continue for at this rate? Now, that's an excellent question, Angus, because um, it's almost like how long's a piece of string. Um, we're estimating three to four weeks uh, because of the uh, volume of inflows that are coming in at the other end of the swamp. Um, so um, we may actually look at, depending on weather forecasts, uh, up that rate of uh, outflow. Um, but again, it will uh, come back to... Uh, continuing uh, to monitor uh, the inflows that are coming in uh, into Kia Swamp and also looking very much at weather forecasts so that we can, uh, I guess, bring the uh, storage levels down to an acceptable level. And if you did up the, the rate of outflow, would that put more pressure on those levies? Uh, it would. However, upon saying that, we're um, assessing exactly um, what those levies will be able to uh, handle. And at this point in time, we are very confident that uh, we will not exceed outflows uh, that will impact the levy system. And that work that you mentioned to those levy banks, uh, is that work that Golden Murray Water undertook? Well, it's actually work that the SES took, uh, ultimately through the Incident Control Centre in Bendigo. Okay, and that was repairing damage that was done back in the October 22 floods? Yes, that's correct. This gets a bit complicated, I imagine, Tim, but the, the water that's being released from Cow Swamp, I mean, it's, it's an irrigation water storage. So uh, what are the rules around managing releases when, when it's irrigation water? Yeah, well, that's a good question, and that's why um, we um, try not to release too much water because at the end of the day, we have farmers that are putting in irrigation orders as we speak. Uh, and are wanting to irrigate their paddocks as we speak. So um, that's one of the reasons why um, if we release water way too early and then the rain event doesn't uh, actually occur, we look a little bit silly because we've basically spent irrigators' water by putting it down the creek rather than out onto people's paddocks. So the water that is released, who owns that and uh, who accounts for the, the release or, or the loss of it? Well, ultimately, the water has, uh, I guess, three owners and those being um, uh, irrigators, uh, the environment and also water corporations um, are basically the three owners of that water. And Tim, for people in other parts of the state, perhaps on other, other floodwater systems, perhaps they're thinking it's been a while since the rain uh, fell now. Why, why is all of this playing out so slowly? But, but in this part of the world... Is it just because things are so so very flat and that the water moves slowly? Uh, you're spot on, Angus, in what you're saying. Uh, a lot of people don't understand or realise that uh, the Loddon River system, uh, together with its tributaries, um, um, are on a very flat floodplain. And so when floodwaters do move across them, uh, floodwaters move very slowly. Um, we actually use a, a calculating factor of about 11 kilometres a day is how fast the flood water will travel, which is not that fast. Uh, but again, uh, every flood is different and every situation is different. Um, but uh, yes, that's why uh, we're only starting to sort of see some of these impacts from that rain now because we live in a flat landscape. Angus, um, I tell a little joke to people that uh, Kerrang is where we calibrate spirit levels. Because it's so flat. Correct. That was Tim Nitschke, Assistant Distribution Manager in Kerrang with Goldman Murray Water. Scott's on the text line about uh, the weather we've been having. Scott from Hamilton says, might as well ignore the Bureau's long-term forecast. They have been too inaccurate with a wet December and January while they are still talking El Nino. 
They have cost some producers a lot of money and extra work. And as far as 2023 being one of the hottest years on record, well, that is just plain wrong where I live, says Scott. You can text in. That number is 0467 842 722. On ABC Radio Victoria, this is the Victorian Country Hour. Well, there has been a lot of talk recently about the big supermarkets, how much they're paying their farmers and how much they're charging consumers. But do the supermarkets dictate what they pay farmers? Harvest Moon is one of the largest vegetable growing businesses in the country, operating in Tasmania, Victoria and Queensland. Co-owner Mark Cable told reporter Megan Powell, it's not a simple equation. As far as pricings go, it's not the retailers that set the price. Generally, it's, it's the open market. It's the, it's, the, it's the market forces, supply and demand, on a daily, weekly basis that dictate what the prices are. Now, those on a, on a daily and weekly basis are set by the central market system. So Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth, all those major markets around Australia basically set those prices uh, on a day-to-day basis. It is the retailers generally that, that follow suit from what those prices are paid back to the growers. So it's purely on the, on the market forces of supply and demand. Um, Surely the supermarkets, though, have some, the retailers have some say in what the price is. Yes, they do, but it's all on the back of supply and demand. There are certain lines, like in hard produce, where there are, uh, where there are fixed pricing on, on, on a year out. Um, and, and volumes and prices are locked. Now, no one's holding a, a gun to our head on, on these prices. And, and, you know, basically, you know, it, it's up to the individual grower whether they accept those prices or not. I can say from our point of view, um, and this is just from Harvest Moon's point of view, we have a very good relationship with, with, with Woolworths and, and we, we, we feel that, you know, we've got a good relationship and, and, and it works well. Now, that's just Harvest Moon. I can't speak for other other far- vegetable farms around Australia. But to come out, and I believe, you know, it's a bit like you know, bank bashing at times. I think people are very quick to react and, and blame the retailers. And, and, and at times, it's not the retailers that, that, are, uh, that are at fault. Surely there's, there's something to be said for just the, the pure market share that the two big supermarkets have between them doesn't offer farmers a lot of choice in terms of walking away and finding a different price. Uh, yes, they, they, they do wield a fair bit of power, but also, you know, we've got Audi that's come in play. We've also got Costco, you know, the independents have got very big around Australia. Um, you know, there are other, other options. Meg, you know, again, I go back to the, the market forces, supply and demand. You know, two years ago, broccoli was through the roof and, and so were beans. So what happens last year in 23? People go out and plant a lot more broccoli and beans because the year before it was strong. Then on top of that, you know, we, every, every growing region in Australia had a very good production year. There was no weather events. Everyone's crops yielded through the roof. And bang, what happened? We had a massive oversupply of broccoli, massive oversupply of beans, cauliflowers, you name it. Um, and, and what happens? It goes to the market and there's just a massive oversupply and this is what happens. And, and unfortunately, uh, at times we're our own worst enemy in the farming sector because we, you know, we don't stick to um, programs, we don't stick to, to orders. Uh, at times we, we take a punt and we're all to blame when we put too much in 
uh, thinking that the market's going to be good and it's not to a specific order. And, and this is what happens. And we, we, we massively oversupply uh, the, the country. Surely those prices would then be reflected in the end result, in what consumers pay. Look, yes, and that has happened. I mean, you know, vegetables have been, you know, deflated in the last 12 months. And that's purely on the back of supply and demand. So, you know, broccoli has been cheap. Collies have been cheap. Beans have been cheap. Look, yeah, look, and some lines are. The, 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 leafy, the leafy lines in, in, in the vegetable industry, you know, it's really week by week, day by day. Um, as I said, in, in vegetables, hard produce is probably a little bit more stable, but definitely the leafy greens are, are very volatile as far as supply and demand goes. I just want to hark back to an Ausveg survey from last year, which found that I think it was over 30% of vegetable farmers were considering leaving the industry. And one of the factors in that was to do with supermarket prices. Is that something that you hear out and about, Mark? Look, in certain sectors, yes. Um, but, but again, I mean, everyone's been down in the mouth in the, in the veg sector in the last 12 to 18 months. And, and without a doubt, I mean, our history of, you know, We've been in business for 42 years. The last 12 to 18 months has been the toughest we've ever experienced, the longest longest period with low prices. Um, so it's been hard. And it, and on top of this, Meg, it, it hasn't just been about the prices returned. We've had a massive uh, increase in all our production costs. So it's been a double whammy, and that's what's really hurt. You know, diesel's been up, you know, imports, fertiliser, chemicals, and obviously the big one that's really hurt is labour. Um, to me, that's a far bigger issue at the moment in our business compared to you know, the prices we're, we're, and the way the, the, the supermarkets are handling us. That was Harvest Moon co-owner Mark Cable speaking to Megan Powell. On the text line, this person says, in, in regards to the wet weather we've been having, they say, OK, the Bureau got it wrong, but tell me who got it right. It's a tricky one because I'm not sure that we can even really say so categorically that the Bureau did get it wrong. I think my reading is that they, they were very late with their El Nino declaration. Um, they've got a higher bar to, to jump over to declare El Nino than some other forecasting organisations. And then almost by the time they did declare it, it, it seemed that the effects of it were about to start waning and, and then other climate drivers came into force. And certainly there was a lot of attention focused on the El Nino declaration, but not much attention at all on on reports that El Nino was waning, that that southern annular mode was coming into effect. So, yeah, look, it's a tricky one, but good to have your contributions on the text line. 0467 722 is the number. 28 to 1 now, though, so let's head to rural news with Emma Field. G'day Angus. We all know how essential backpackers are to the ag workforce. Well, this year there'll be some changes for travellers from the UK. Under the new UK Free Trade Agreement, these working holidaymakers will no longer be required to work regionally to obtain a visa extension. The changes come into effect from July this year and they're only for UK workers, which make up the largest demographic of backpackers. Alan Smith from Outback Aussie Tours in Western Queensland says it'll be very hard for businesses in his region, especially at peak times in June and July. There's a huge reliance on, on backpackers uh, for our um, team that we need to build up to, to handle such a seasonal activity and I guess that's where the problem is. You know, tourism is 
quite seasonal and we do need a seasonal and a transient population to fill that gap. Whilst we'd love to have more people uh, working locally, what do they do over the other times of the year? But, you know, we can try and employ people full time to a certain point, but we do need, uh, unfortunately, a casual team to come in and do that seasonal uh, work. The number of wool bales offered at last week's three wool sales in Sydney, Melbourne and Fremantle was the largest in eight months. It was the first sale after the Christmas break and Elders Bensdale District Wool Manager Maddie Gallagher says there should be good demand this week. We had a very strong sale uh, at the end of 2023 so what this led to was a lot of people putting wool into the first sale back. We had a massive three-day sale comprising of 50,884 bales. This is the largest opening sale we've had in three years and the largest sale in eight months. The week opened very strongly on the Tuesday. Increases of 20 cents in the Merino fleece, but this quickly tapered off and lost momentum through the week to lead to a pretty much unchanged market. Another massive sale this week, 55,660 bales, which will put pressure on the market. These are mostly crossbred bales, but one thing we have in our favour is shipping deadlines for the Chinese New Year looming. Basically, things need to be brought this week to make it before Chinese New Year, which is the 10th of Feb. Meanwhile, Mildura Elders District Wool Manager Emma Turner says there's a lot of international issues creating uncertainty in the wool market, including a potential German recession, the Chinese economy, the US election, plus conflicts in Ukraine and Gaza. But there are major security concerns around the Red Sea region, which includes the pivotal Suez Canal shipping route, which provides the fastest route between Europe and Asia. And this is causing problems for wool exporters shipping processed wool from China to Europe. Ms Turner says it's adding considerable costs for shipping containers through the region, with many forced to take an alternative route after a series of freight vessels were attacked. And then over in the canal in the Red Sea, there's a bit of an issue as well, um, and that's adding around 15 days to a journey time at the moment, um, also adding around 4500 to $5,000 extra cost per container when it comes to freight. So there's still quite a few global issues going on at the moment. And until that starts to settle down and economy stabilise, it's a bit hard to predict an upturn anytime reasonably soon, that's for sure. And there's renewed interest in using hemp as construction material. It's carbon neutral and easy to use compared to traditional building products. But despite the benefits of building with hemp, the industry says it's been strangled by stigma and red tape. Andy Lucas runs X-Hemp at Cressy in Tasmania and explains the uses for hemp straw. Behind me what we've got is just a couple of the products that we process. So we've got mulch that we use on gardens, the hemp bast which is used for a range of products like animal bedding and can be used for weed mats, that kind of thing. We've got bags of the hemp herd which gets converted into the building products, bags of dust and fines, there's all these different outputs. What you can see is that we are completely out of space so I'm very happy to say that we're about to move into a much larger facility which is happening in the next week or two. So we're just at that point we've outgrown the place that we've been for the last sort of two and a half years which is really Really exciting and now we're ready to move to that next size uh, facility and really expand the range of things that we can do. And we've been covering the Wiener cattle sales on the east coast but over in WA in the state's Great Southern at Mount Barker, cattle prices have been up across all categories. Numbers are down from the high in 2007 but sale yard manager Greg Moore says interstate buyers have been active. We are actually this week seeing a few of the eastern states guys operating and uh, cattle going across the paddock. That has been uh, a common sort of a, 
occurrence over the last couple of years, uh, which is good. And some of our special sales we've actually um, advertised on Auctions Plus, and so we're sort of opening up our market to, to well, nationally, really, yeah. And that wraps up Rural News for this Monday. Thanks, Emma. Emma Field there with Rural News. Better head to the Bureau now. Senior forecaster Stephanie Miles joins me now. Good afternoon, Stephanie. How are you going, Angus? Well, I'll be curious to get your thoughts on, on what rain people may or, or may not expect this week. But uh, I think before that, we better talk about what's happening around the state today. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, at the moment, out our windows and it's actually quite settled uh, over most of the state. We've got a bit of cloud around and a couple of showers, like kind of on our Vic and North, uh, sorry, New South Wales border, but otherwise a relatively dry day. Our temperatures are kind of reaching in the mid-20s in the southern parts of the state and a little bit hotter in the north, up to about the early 30s or so. And we're expecting a couple of showers to really develop on and north of the ranges and also kind of in our western parts too with potentially a couple of thunderstorms as well. Now, look... Tomorrow we'll start in a very similar way as well. We are expecting those showers to also develop in the afternoon over our northern and western parts. But from Tuesday onwards, we have a bit of a low-pressure trough that's deepening over our South Australian and western border. So those showers will start to really increase in the western parts of the state tomorrow afternoon. We're expecting some isolated thunderstorms with that trough too. However, overnight on Tuesday... The movement of the trough really stalls and we kind of get a little bit of a fallout of the rain overnight. It's really on Wednesday when we're expecting the most rainfall to be crossing the state. So that trough in our western parts will start to move eastwards across the state and we will be expecting showers and thunderstorms and areas of rain to be reaching maybe the central parts of Victoria by mid-morning to lunchtime on Wednesday. It'll start to move eastwards and reach the far eastern parts of the state in the evening and it won't really clear the rest of the state until that Thursday morning. But, yeah, look, it's quite uh, mobile on the Wednesday moving through the rest of the state. So you can expect the highest rainfalls on the Wednesday. Behind the front on Thursday, we will be expecting a couple of showers to linger on and south of the ranges. Cloudy conditions and a bit of a cooler change behind that front too. So on Thursdays, our temperatures only dropped a little bit, the more mid to high 20s or so, and that's going to continue a little bit on Friday too, and it starts to get a little bit more settled and pick up again towards the weekend. So, yeah, Angus, it's really Wednesday that we're starting to see most of that rainfall reach the rest of the state. And the sorts of totals we should expect Wednesday? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, last time when, last week, sorry, when we were talking about this, Angus, we weren't really sure where and when, but this morning coming in after the weekend, I'm very happy to see that we've got a more consistent story. So, at the moment on the Wednesday because the trough will be in the very far western parts of the state on Tuesday afternoon, it's really only expected to be about 5 to 10 millimetres in our western parts on the Wednesday. During the day on Wednesday in the central districts, we're expecting anywhere between the 10 to 25 millimetres and a little bit higher in our eastern parts as the front gets there, up to about 20 to 30 millimetres in our northeast and eastern ranges. Now, I know that's a bit of an increase in what we've got our forecast at the moment, but as I said, we've got more of a idea of what's happening now that the afternoon's forecast that will come out will probably show a couple of more higher totals than what we've had previously in our forecast. So definitely if you're worried about that, please uh, yeah, make a note of what comes out in your forecast tonight. Uh, and also given that we've got a better consistent story now, but I do uh, expect that our forecast will slightly vary or so, so just keep up to date with those rainfall totals if it's of concern to a lot of people out there that have been you know, recently flood affected, Angus. Okay, so there could be fairly widespread um, totals sort of around that, that, that 20, 25 mil mark then perhaps. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a great way to summarise it. Uh, in the thunderstorms, there's a chance where you'll get a couple of isolated totals anywhere between the 40 to 60 millimetres, but they'll be, you know, very hit and miss and they'll be moving with the front as well, so they won't be sticking around long if they do spark up and rain out. But, yeah, look, the 20 to 25 millimetres, I think, at the moment is a very good uh, summary of what we we're expecting. Probably not what people wanted to hear uh, more rain again, but that's not your fault, Stephanie. <laughs> Thanks for bringing us the details. Thanks, Angus. Uh, look, if I could change the weather, I would, I promise. But, uh, yeah, look, I'm really sorry about that to all those people who don't want any more rain. I can understand that. No, all good. Thanks for that, Stephanie. Stephanie Miles there, Senior Forecaster at the Bureau. And, yeah, does well, there was lots of uncertainty around that system last week to the point where it wasn't really clear whether there'd be any rain or, or lots of rain. But now, as, as Stephanie said, uh, Less in the west, but through the central and and, more, and eastern Victoria, looks like 15, 20, 25 mil, perhaps widespread falls. And as, as Stephanie said there, more possibly in, uh, in areas that do receive thunderstorms. On the text line, Anthony from Coleraine's been in touch about uh, the way supermarkets charge consumers and pay farmers. He says, blaming supply and demand as the sole reason for corporate greed is the biggest load of political talking rubbish he's heard. That's Anthony's take. Uh, on the Bureau, uh, I think Stephanie's dropped off the line, so she might not hear this. Oh, this is actually not too critical of the Bureau, this one. This person says, too many farmers actually had their heads in the sand regarding the weather and the climate. The Bureau presents information from a range of models and within that, there is uh, there are unpredictable factors due to different climate change forces. Uh, and this person says maybe the Bureau El Nino example is a lesson on many subjects. This person must be 60, I think they say. With almost 60 years on the planet today, everything seems to be the worst ever. The mega this, the overpumped that. It's no wonder people become so stressed. Their reflex trained on fight or flight by the system and the media. Zero four six seven eight four two seven double two is the text line. Let's keep moving though and talk fertilizer pricing because farmers can expect to pay historically high prices for fertilizer this year, but nothing like the record highs of a couple of years ago. That's the take from Matt Dalgleish, a market analyst with episode three dot net. He spoke with Belinda Varaschetti. Oh, in terms of phosphates, you're probably looking at the moment, and this is a free on board price in Australian dollar terms in terms of a global price compared uh, for an Australian dollar you know, equivalent. Phosphates are around that $800 to $900 a tonne and the urea pricing is around that $550, $600 a tonne. All right. So can you put that into historical perspective for us? Because we have had some uh, real record prices in recent years, so it's nowhere near that, but still pretty high. Yeah, that's right. If you if you look at the urea side at the very peaks, it nearly got to fourteen hundred dollars a ton. And again, that's the the global price in Australian dollar terms. So episode three, we've got a a global model that gives us an idea of what the fair value should be. Um, so it nearly got to fourteen hundred back in kind of late twenty one, I think it was. Um, had a few peaks, in fact, um, through that twenty twenty two year, but yeah, the, the first peak was the highest at fourteen hundred. And in terms of the phosphates, you have to go back to, again, it was probably our third, our second quarter of 2022 or thereabouts, and you had that peaking just under $1,800 uh, Aussie a tonne. So a little bit of relief this year compared to those prices, but still high against the average. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, it, those prices were exceptionally high. 
when you look at something like prior to that most recent peaks we saw through all that you know disruption in in the black sea predominantly and what was happening in ukraine was was driving some of those price hikes um but prior to that you had you know previous peaks in dap uh around the 700 dollar a ton so so even you know, where we are now you know 800 to 900 is, is higher than the previous peaks for dap and when you're talking urea um, previous peaks were, you know, about the 500 level, maybe 550. So we're kind of back to what would be considered to be historically fairly high pricing, but nothing near where we were, you know, during those very elevated prices, um, again, through that Russian-Ukrainian issue. And what about the supplies for the upcoming year? Um, how does it look around the world where we get most of our fertiliser supplies? Uh, well, in terms of the phosphate side, so MAP and DAP, um, China is a big exporter of that. And towards the end of last year, they started to restrict their uh, exports out of the country because they're having their own concerns around internal domestic supply to be able to supply their own agricultural sectors. Um, so that caused a bit of a disruption to the global picture there, and that started to push pricing higher for phosphates. But on the urea side, if you look at the volumes we've seen coming through, even though we get a lot of our urea from the Middle East and North African region, and there's been a bit of problems with um, transport and logistics through, through the Red Sea, um, there are concerns that that might cause some delays because some of those shipping lanes, they're having to divert around Africa because of these problems with pirates and Houthis, Houthi rebels in the Red Sea causing issues with um, getting the more direct route uh, being utilised. But it hasn't really restricted supplies yet. Um, it's just a, a potential concern. And l- last year, we did see some record levels of urea imports into the country. You know, for 2023, we touched on um, 3 million metric tonnes. So that was the highest we've seen it on record in terms of volumes of imports. And that's even if you include um, our domestic production added on top, which is no longer being manufactured in, in Gibson Island in Queensland. That That kind of stopped for 2023, but we actually imported enough to cover what we what we missed producing ourselves as well. So it's, it's been a, a strong year for volumes of, uh, of imports of urea. So does that mean with that record coming in for last year, record supplies coming in, does that mean we won't have any supply issues here in Australia for the upcoming well, season? Well, yeah, look, we did have, well, you might have noted last year there were some concerns around getting access to urea and certainly on the eastern states that was the case, not so much on the west. Um, but when we look at the volumes coming in and where they were distributed, um, the West actually got a reasonable uh, high level compared to previous years. So so there looked to be an, enough supply in the West. And there was also, I think, a little bit more reluctance to buy in the West because you guys headed into a much drier season, whereas in the Eastern States, as you've seen on the news probably recently, we've been a lot of, lot of rain and moisture in the system. Um, and, and that kind of contributed to increased demand, the prospects of that you know, good cropping season in the East. So I think there might have been just a bit of a mismatch of, of logistics and supply in Australia, and that did cause some localised shortages, certainly on the eastern side. But I don't think the West experienced that anywhere near as much as uh, we did on the east. And what about, you know, in the lead-up to seeding for this season, how do you feel the industry or, or you know, uh, growers are feeling about it, producers are feeling about it? Because here in the West we sort of ended up with a 14 million tonne grain harvest. There's not a lot of soil moisture around and really hoping for some rain kind of by March, I guess. Uh, that's the situation here. How does that compare to the east and, and how do you see the, the demand for fertiliser this season? Oh, yeah, look, I think in the east, uh, given that wet we had an, an, un- an uncharacteristic time of year, um, I think there was some 
that had harvest disrupted in the east. Um, and then obviously, you know, there are some areas that have had too much rain more recently too, which is good. It's a good thing to set us up for the next season in terms of soil moisture. Um, but it has been quite disruptive around harvest. Um, I think generally though, confidence in the east is, is reasonably good. Again, because of that level of rain we've had. And it was, it was one of those things where if you looked at the Bureau forecast um, leading into this time of year, you know, three months ago, um, we, we got much more rain than what we anticipated. Um, so that has actually um, boosted confidence in both the cropping side and the livestock sector for that matter. And what about demand for fertiliser from other countries, Matt? Are we going to see, you know, high interest in, you know, those supplies, you know, potentially raising that price of fertiliser as we go into the year? Yeah, there is a prospect. Um, the big one at the moment has been Brazil. So um, if you look at see what's happening there, um, as at the end of last year, the Brazilian farmers had bought about 60% of their needs for the upcoming season. Uh, and normally by the end of the year, they would have had about 80% of their fertiliser purchased. But um, there's been some dry uh, weather impacting upon Brazil as well. And, and also um, it, the soybean pricing has been a bit low and they're a big um, supplier of global soybeans. So with that pricing a bit depressed, the Brazilian farmers have been a bit reluctant to go and purchase their fertiliser. So that has taken some of the demand away from the market presently. Um, and, and so that's kind of allowed for, for pricing to, to start to kind of decline a little bit just because of that drop in demand. But you know, it is a bit of a mixed picture because you've got one side, you've got this issue in China and the issue in the Red Sea and, and supply generally on that side being a bit restricted. But then you've got demand also easing in a key um, big market like Brazil. So they're kind of netting each other out a little bit at the moment. That was market analyst Matt Dalgleish with his thoughts on fertiliser prices for this year. Market's fast coming up, but before that, have you ever considered a different job? Perhaps a a different industry entirely? Different factors can prompt change, whether it's climate, government, money, lifestyle. For Link McClellan, it was about about family, a decision which saw him move from the mallee into growing watermelons. I started here at Rapisada Enterprises in 2019, um, my wife and I moved up from northwest Victoria where we were for 15 years where we uh, had two kids and raised them and they got to the start of high school and we were thinking well we're going to have to send them away to boarding school or, or move somewhere else and do something different and, and send them to a good school so we ended up um, moving to Townsville so the, the kids have gone to a good school in Townsville and um, I'm the one who's at boarding school. I'm, I'm on the farm out here most of the time at Clare. And so that change, what was that like for you guys as for, for yourself from that farming change and also as a wider family unit? Oh, it was a big, big farming change for me because I, I was, being in the Mallee, there, there was many droughts to contend with. It was a long run from 2004 through to 2018 so there was an um that that included the millennium drought uh and then 2018 came and i'd had enough um it was it was um pretty hard so we came up here and then i've been working in the irrigation since and it's much nicer to put the water on yourself when you want it what was that like for you in terms of that change and new farming things, not doing the same as, as you did in Victoria? Well, it was a pretty steep learning curve because um, I'd never had anything to do with horticulture other than the veggie garden at home. Um, but 
here had to sort out a fertiliser program, um, did a lot of uh, investigation to see what uh, melons need. Even though they'd been growing them here on the property for a long time, uh, I was given a few guidelines but said, told, go ahead and, and grow them and do what you want. So that was, um, it was a pretty steep learning curve to, to learn uh, what to do in a short space of time. And then with irrigation, it's uh, a matter of um, balancing the, the amount of water you put on. So it, it's easy to uh, get them too wet. What did you learn about yourself as a farmer changing? It's just such a dramatic change from Northwest Vic to North Queensland. Uh, as a Mallee farmer, we'd, uh, I always thought I could grow wheat anywhere because it was pretty tough there. Um, but I never considered that I'd be growing melons for a living considering that was the main weed in the summertime down there. So, yes, yeah, so I found myself pretty, pretty adaptable. Wow, and what are some of those um, positives about moving to a place like this and, and growing melons? I mean, you mentioned turning on the tap and, and water before. I'm, I'm sure, is drought in your mind anymore? Uh, it's not a major concern for me. This year has been a pretty dry year and it's fantastic for growing um, horticulture because uh, in this part of the world, fungicides are uh, a weekly application for us on the, on the melons. So, um, yeah, there's lots of disease to contend with up here. So if, it, if you can get away with less rain, then you get less disease outbreaks. What was it like making that leap of faith? I mean, was it scary? Oh, very very scary to, to move up here we, we didn't have a lot of fa family up here or anything like that so we had to yeah it was a it was a true leap of faith we just had to bite the bullet and then jump and go and see what we could make of a life up here and we've done pretty well I believe for anyone listening who might be in the middle of a drought or just some really hard years on their farm would you recommend that sea change? Would, would you recommend that leap of faith? Uh, everyone has their own scenario to deal with, but um, if it is getting too tough, yeah, it, it's, it's much nicer to make a change than, than have to continue with the, the grind. That was Link McClelland, Mallon Manager at Rapisada Enterprises, speaking with Lucy Cooper. Markets now starting at Pakenham Cattle with Brendan Fletcher. Numbers increased to 940, that's 440 more, with another order joining the regulars in a dearer market. Quality improved with a larger selection of heavyweights and a smaller proportion of trade cattle. Trade cattle lifted up to 25 cents, ground steers and bullocks gained 10, heavy Friesian steers kicked 25 cents, the crossbreds held firm. Cows lifted 5 to 15 cents with processors loading cows for an estimated 4.44 to 5.06 cents a kilogram. Carcass weight heavy bulls gained 20. Vealers sold from 2.50 to 3.25. Yearling trade steers 2.70 to 3.05. The heifer portion 2.40 to 2.90. Ground steers and bullocks 2.70 to 3.02. Heavy Friesian steers 2.25 to 2.62. Crossbreds 2.40 to 2.82. Most light and medium weight cows 1.66 to 2.30. Heavyweights 200 to 2.68. Heavy bulls 2.08 to 2.69. Mrs. Brendan Fletcher reporting for MLA. Thanks, Brendan. Wagga cattle now with Leanne Dax. 
Good afternoon. Feedlots took centre stage, dominating a significantly larger yarding of 4,010. The overall numbers surged by 2,000 head. Bullock stole the spotlight and jumped 50 cents, ranging from 258 to 314. Heavy steers destined for processors also emerged as a hot commodity, experienced a rise of 35 cents to average 291. Heavy heifers too enjoyed the moment in the limelight, exhibiting a jump of 30 cents and reaching a top of 306. Feeder steers across all weight categories witnessed gains of 20 to 25 cents with lighter weights ranging from $3 to $3.70. Trade steers were relatively scarce but achieved solid sales fetching $3.20 to $3.35. Trade heifers were up seven and ranged from $2.66 to $3.10. Feeder heifers were particularly sought after this week and jumped $0.23. Cents. The cow market increased $0.15 to $0.20 cents, while the lighter weights jumped $0.30. Cents. I'm Leanne Dunks for MLA. Thanks Leanne. Mortlake Cattle now with Chris Agnew. Thanks, Angus. Agents yarded 2,039 head at Mortlake this week, an increase of 829 head, uh, where the quality was still very good and shown right throughout all categories. Most of the normal buyers were active and in a very strong market. Grown cattle and manufacturing steers gained $30 to $40 per head, and very good top-end trade cattle gained 25 per head, but once away from the top of the trade cattle, prices remained firm to slightly dearer. Cows gained a further 25 to $30 per head over most categories, and bulls were 30 cents a kilogram stronger. This week, a good offering of vealers was on offer, and they made between 2.52 and 2.98 cents. Trade steers and heifers making between 2.30 and 270 cents. Grown cattle topped out at 290 cents this week. Manufacturing steers sold up to 270 cents. Heavy beef cows making from 2.10 to 2.82, with the medium weights between 185 and 2.20. At Mortlake, this is Chris Agnew reporting for MLA. Thanks, Chris. Lastly, Bendigo Lambs with Jenny Kelly. Good afternoon. Lamb market softened as the pressure starts to come off buyers from the big wet. More on offer today with 19,000 lambs, but the sheep market bucked the trend to be dearer despite numbers doubling to 8,700 head. Heaviest shorn lambs over 30 kilos carcass weight from 207 to a top of $260 for crossbreds at a ballpark cost of 700 to 720 cents a kilo. Some of the export weight dorper lambs and unshorn suckers were in the 650 to 700 cent range. And the feel of the sale today was it is trying to find a level and prices did bounce around a bit. There were still isolated sales of neat trades to 780 cents, but the bulk of lambs to processors tracked from 670 to 730 cents a kilo. This meant the 26 to 30 kilo shorn lambs made 179 to 213, the 24 to 26s 159 to 188. Sheep sale was dearer with heavy mutton pushing over $200 on multiple occasions, reaching $124 for merino ewes and $110 for crossbreds. Most sheep 60 to $90, trending either side of 300 cents a kilo carcass weight. Jenny Kelly for MLA. Thanks, Jenny. Well, that is just about it for the Country Hour. Remember the Rural website, abc.net.au slash rural and ABC Rural on Facebook. News time now. It's one o'clock.